From runasradio.com, you're listening to Run As Radio, the internet audio talk show for IT professionals with Richard Campbell. This is Brandon Wen announcing show number 828, SQL Q&A from SQL Server and Azure SQL Conference, Spring 2022, recorded Thursday, April 7th, 2022. Run As Radio is produced each week by Sound Thoughts, LLC. For more information, visit soundthoughtsllc.com. You can follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash runasradio. Hi, this is Richard Campbell. Thanks for listening to Run As Radio. I'm here in Las Vegas at the MGM Grand, and we're coming to the end of the Azure SQL and SQL Server Conference. And I have an array of illustrious experts Many of our speakers from the uh, SQL track and some folks from Microsoft as well, including my friend Bob Ward. Richard, great to be here again. Yeah. Hey, here we, we are. I How many times have we been doing this? Yeah, this is the 10th year. 10th year. Yeah, I, I don't know that, that we've done 10 years of these Q&As, okay. but pretty close, and two a year typically, two you know, years, barring right. any pandemic effects. Right. Uh, and I, one of the things I always love about collecting these is that watching the, the, the conversation change over the past few years about how people think about databases. Kind of like the trends in the industry, right? You've yeah. seen it before. Yeah, I'm kind of thinking back when we first did this, nobody actually wanted me to say the word Azure. Isn't that right? They, <laughs> people were less enthusiastic about the cloud in like 2012. <laughs> yeah, exactly, right? exactly, exactly. But uh, I mean, these days, you, you know, we, you are one of the conversation we had in just in December. Lots right. of conversation right. and a bunch of dev conversation, exactly. I recall, exactly. too. Absolutely, absolutely. So, well, we're all great, glad to be here today, and it'll be fun to hear your questions. All right, and folks, just make sure you pass the microphones around. If anyone wants to, has a question burning right away, I'll, I'll happily uh, run to you. And uh, otherwise, we can kick off with sort of some standards. So uh, 2022 is GA now? Yes? No? Uh, Wait, not uh, me. Davide or Bob? Yeah. <laughs> not me. Answer me. It's in Italian. No, oh, in Italian. No, 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 I can't. I can't. Sorry. Also, That's no. That's no. a no. No? Thank you. We never say no, we say not yet. Not yet. Coming soon. Coming soon to a theater near you. Yeah. Do we have a date? Do we have any ideas? Are there any obvious moments coming up in the immediate future? Do, do you want me to? Well, this- it is named SQL 2022. Yeah, so, that, so we're pretty sure a- what year it may appear. Pretty sure. <laughs> we have never missed a year yet. <laughs> I think we can say one thing, mm. which is we love... To announce things at events, right? That is true. Yes. I had that experience. So. And here we are at an event. <laughs> <laughs> Not this event. Uh, <laughs> yeah. There's a few more left in 2022. Yeah, the great thing about just being a podcaster is uh, it's not my career you're putting on the line. <laughs> I'm happy to have you say anything you want on my show. That's fine. I'm good with that. Any questions for folks? Things you saw, things you wished you saw. More, more cloud, less cloud. Can I ask something? Yes. How many developers in the room? Always Raise a good your question. Yeah. I'm always interested. Oh, yeah, in. few. Welcome. Well, <laughs> <laughs> more than more than half. Yeah, that's I think it's almost half of de- half. More, dev. more, I guess. More, yeah. I guess. Yeah. yeah, that's great. I said more. So, are, are there any features on SQL 2022 that? As developers, you're excited about? Or Azure SQL Database. <laughs> or Azure SQL Database. The best database to run on in the cloud. Yeah, thank you. 
No, no, a lot of excitement. I think Elvis took it out of him last night. I think so. That was a lot. Yeah. Oh, man. Had, I'm sorry I lot, missed it then. We had a long day. Yeah. So I had a question. Um, oh, I had a question on uh, security side. How many of you have noticed more of a focus on security in your organization? Folks being asked. Okay, quite yeah. a few. All right. Good stuff. All right. We've seen a lot of about SQL, Azure SQL today or this week, and we've, we haven't heard much about Elastic pools and, and things of that nature. We were, we've been attempting to use the drivers, et cetera, uh, at our, at our company. We've noticed that, that Elastic Pool has a dependencies on .NET standard and there's nothing for .NET 6. Is that by design <laughs> or neglect? So I, just, just to be clear here, I think you're referring to Elastic Client library. Elastic yeah. Pools is, is another thing that is independent from the framework. Um, Elastic Client is uh, something we are working on uh, at the moment. Uh, we know it needs to be refreshed. Uh, that's what I can say at the hmm. moment. But yeah, we, we understand that uh, that uh, it's it needs to be refreshed. So yeah. So what what kind of so the, the main issues for you is that the Elastic Client library is not uh, compatible with the framework six. Is that is uh, .NET six right? Is that what you're saying? Well, it, it's. Well, I'm not sure. We've we've gotten it to work. We okay. just weren't sure if it's if it's supported or correct. Yeah. Okay. Got it. I, yeah, yeah. I I'm not the PM for that feature. Um, but I I, I will report the feedback. Um, so thank you. No taken. Thank you. And .NET is in SQL Server, right? You've been able to query SQL Server. You've been able to write C sharp code inside of SQL since 2005. Yeah. This is more along the lines of the client libraries connecting in. We have made some. A lot, a lot of improvements in that area. Uh, recently at the SQL Bits conference over in London, we had a whole thing. If you ping us, we can send you the the details of what we kind of covered in that area. There was more than I I knew uh, when I started building the session, all the way up to and including just the latest TLS and and all those sorts of things uh, and core and so on. So there are a bunch of changes we made, uh, even inside the ones that we deprecated a long time ago, we still improved them, which was kind of interesting for me to find out. Uh, but we we do have uh, updates coming for that as well. And so that version of do you think the version of .NET that's inside of SQL Server will eventually be six? It's not the .NET inside SQL Server that he's talking about. He's talking about the yeah, the .NET I, I'm aware of that. Out. Oh, I'm sorry, um, that I can't speak to. Do you know the libraries inside? Yeah, oh, that's, I don't know who's working on the on-prem Azure SQL database doesn't support uh, .NET. So. Yes. Oh, that's ah. right. I forgot. Um. <laughs> Once again, Richard Campbell trying to stump the panel. That's a really good question. Richard, we'll go look into it. I'm not sure. Well, you know, I've always it's noticed that question. it was off by default, and I thought that was a hint. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's standard to like in SQL Server, there's surface area things that are off by default, right? Yes. Like XP command shell, that's yeah, one yeah. of them. But so, it is fair for us to go back and consider, because SQL CLR is still popular with SQL Server, works mm -hmm. with managed instance as well, is what, what version of the framework should we refresh to that? That's a good one. Yeah. It's a Richard Campbell special. No, you do it just for me, Bob. I appreciate that. <laughs> I would say this, it's the very fast version of .NET. Yep. No, right, I know Marcia, right now here? We, we support the external script, so we have Python, Java. Sure, so, he's referring specifically to SQL CLR, right? Yeah. So he wants so, to know in, so in, the, in the so when we okay. host the runtime, which version of the runtime are we hosting in? Okay, my question is about sharding uh, with Entity Framework Core. Um, there are NuGet packages, two NuGet packages, one for the manager, uh, factory manager, um, and one for uh, moving data. 
Um, the manager one is .NET standard, uh, uh, so it works with .NET Core, but the other one is not .NET standard, so if I include it in my project, I get the yellow exclamation. Yeah, yeah, I will, what's, it's what's the same the PM, so I will make sure that I will report him. He's working on exactly try to understand uh, you know, how to evolve the Elastic Client Library, which is the one that does the sharding. And now my question is why you don't you want to do sharding? You didn't come to my session Actually, about. Yeah, we, yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, just kidding, I, just kidding. I, I, yeah, we both no. did. But uh, <laughs> yeah, so, we, what, we what's the reason why you need to do sharding? I'm interested in that. Uh, because we didn't know any better. Uh, okay. <laughs> now that I watch your session, I'm gonna ask my manager. Hey, this is another option. Maybe we don't have to do sharding. Uh, anyway, send me an email. Um, mm -hmm. uh, so I will put you in contact with the PM. Uh, in so anything you want to have uh, asked or, uh, or answered, you can ask directly to him. So you have fresh news. Okay. All right. One more question. Sure. Um, Azure Data Studio versus SSMS. Uh, yeah. Are they both feature proof? So, so say proof? that again. Uh, Azure Data Studio right. versus SSMS. Which one should we stick with? Or yeah. Are they going to be both? Um, this is kind of an interesting question. We get this all the time. Okay. So SQL Server Management Studio, uh, a client tool built on the Visual Studio shell, which runs on Windows, the Windows platform been around for a long time, yep. since 2005 and even a little before. And uh, very rich, lots of graphical elements to it that people really like. And then the Azure Data Studio, which is built on Visual Studio Code. It's yes. a fork of that yep. that allows you to have add-ins and all kinds of other things. It's multi-platform. So it'll run on a Mac, it'll run on Linux, it'll run on Windows, and so on. Um, they both do, you can manage or code in both of them against SQL Server. You probably noticed we put a lot of effort into Azure Data Studio lately, bringing it up to speed with many of the things we do in SQL Server Management Studio. Mm -hmm. But you'll be interested to learn we're actually investing quite heavily in SQL Server Management Studio. Okay. And so there are reasons. And one of the things we want to do, and Bob and I were just talking about this the other night at dinner, we actually want to come out with a session on literally what to use when. Uh, what we're seeing for the moment, if you're uh, familiar with Management Studio, if you're in Windows, if it's working for you, do that. Um, if you're on a Mac, if you're on Linux, if you're on a PC, uh, and you're used to Visual Studio Code, use that. So they both have their place, but we're investing in both, actually, which is uh, people were thinking we were going to go to one or the other. That's not the case. Actually, one of our program managers, you may have heard of this name, Erin Stellato. She used to work, obviously, an expert in the industry. She works now for us at Microsoft. She's literally in charge of the strategy. She had to leave earlier from this conference, or she'd be sitting right here answering that type of question. And yes, we are making, in essence, an investments in Management Studio, and that is a product that will continue to live. And one of her charters is to figure exactly what Buck just said. It's like, how do we align this up in a way? I think there's always going to be some overlap there, but how do we tell you, like, what are the right cases to use both these tools? One of the advantages of VS Code is the ability to use notebooks, so Jupyter Notebooks, um, especially for doing demos or any instruction, it's fabulous because you can have formatted text interspersed with live code that you can execute in line, and that's just a game changer. It's a really, really cool feature. Beats the heck out of opening Word. Not that I'd do that. <laughs> I think it was OneNote instead, but yeah. yeah I mean, Jupyter Notebooks is super compelling, but I also know there's a lot of folks that are very comfortable in SSMS, like that's that's home for them. That's when they that's their console. They've got everything organized correctly. Like that's where they want to work. But the, which they should know, walk away knowing that 
you are safe to continue to use that tool. We are investing yeah. even more than we've done before in the tool. Yeah, and it, and it is still that common runtime. Like Visual Studio uses it as well. Like mm -hmm. that engine's never going away. There's a lot of people who depend on that thing. It's just a feature set from you guys. Yep. Although I appreciate your you know your point there, Buck. Though that Azure Data Studio needed to catch up a certain level of feature set, so we got a lot of attention over the past year or two to get to where it is right now. All right, I have another question. Um, so as a follow-up question about SSMS, um, is there any progress on making it 64-bit instead of 32? <laughs> it's a good question. We'll take feedback to Erin. I wish you know she would have the opportunity to stay here because she loves to hear all these kind of things. But we'll ask her whether there's plans to do that. There's some actual technical reasons why it's not in that case. I thought you were going to ask me about dark mode, actually. Um, <laughs> <laughs> why did as you, soon as you said something, I'm like, he's going to ask about dark why mode. Why would you bring that up? Um, what, do you, what do you need 64 for? Uh, I mean, uh, I think everyone kind of could understand the various reasons to have 64-bit, um, the standard run of the mill. I just, I just didn't know if you'd run into something in specific where you're like, doggone it, if that were 64, I could have done X. I mean, maybe it's that you're trying to build dark mode in 64-bit, and that's why we're waiting, you know. You knew the dark right. mode would get in there, right? right. Yeah. I knew so, that. Aaron, if you're listening to this podcast, we need dark mode. So a reason we'd want 64-bit mode is so that the memory space is bigger, right? So you, when you pull back a big query, even by accident, you don't just crash Management Studio, right? Yeah, so. don't do that. <laughs> it happens, but yeah. Any other just, questions? It, <laughs> <laughs> and also, that's all we're really going to get for 64-bit mode, right, is uh, more memory can be consumed I mean, by it's studio. more memory, different memory space, and, yeah. and different way of using the processor, but that's about, that's why I asked the question. And yes, I know there are obvious places where that makes sense, faster, better, cheaper, but I just didn't know if you were like, no, no, 64 because of this thing. Didn't know if maybe you were on a power PC architecture perhaps or you had switched back to an Itanium server. I wasn't sure. I'm sad that no, not more of you laughed at that. Does anybody not know what a... Okay. Hey, both guys who bought the Itanium servers really loved them. They, they were awesome. It was one of the great you know, proof points of, of, uh, of .NET was that you, there was just a version of the CLR that ran on Itanium. Question here. Oh, actually, I don't have a question so far, but especially thank you for Bob and his team to help us out to have a clear path to ready to migration to Azure. Okay. And, uh, okay. Thank you. And on top of that, um, I really love to see we have, uh, other instructor, uh, on different sections like Bob, um, Grant. And uh, one of my idol, uh, and they already bring in something. Is uh, what we say. I'm learning a lot. I and I mean, really enjoy it. Yes, thank you. Great, thanks very yes. much. Next up over here, I'll come to you. My turn for exercise. Um, my my question is on. Uh, we are uh, we are on. We migrated to Azure VMs. We have whole big infrastructure with at least six or seven instances. Our next goal is whether to move to SQL Server 2022 on the VMs or to managed instance. Are there any points where, I mean, licensing, obviously, yeah, we will. We are yearly licensing, that kind of thing. So I'm trying to see is there anything that we, we pitfalls or any guidelines or any best practices that we need to evaluate both. I mean, obviously, Upgrading to 2022 is, should be straightforward. It's just we are already on 17. 
uh, i don't see any breaking changes so we're trying to understand managed instance we know there are some differences with in, in the azure vms so we're trying to identify is is there any resources or any direction for us uh, that's a very cool question thank you for asking that and yeah we also thought about that we really want to help customers like you where uh, you are in vm i want to know if i can go to mi right so we are working on building a sku recommendation tool which will tell you if you can go to mi if your workload is ready to go to mi that is one and existing sku recommendation tool also can tell you yeah the so right sku all the existing migration tools can also take you from vm to mi so you can run the assessments and they all get updated anytime there's any changes though they those tools will get updated so you can run all the same migration tools on your sql server on azure vm cuz remember it is just sql server right and so you can run all those tools in your vm and it'll tell you if you're ready to go to mi and if there's anything you need to pay attention to and similarly for upgrading to sql server 2022 you can pretty much treat it just like as if you were doing an upgrade on prem all of those same options should be available to you and if you use marketplace images which we always recommend um as soon as sql server 2022 goes to public preview we will have marketplace images for sql 2022 on windows server 2022 okay so you'll be able to test those out as soon as they're uh public yeah just add we we did two sessions on the migration flow um so you can catch up on the slides for that but it, like pam was saying absolutely we've got great tools that are there built into uh ADS which we've just been talking about as well um to help you analyze your databases in terms of schema compatibility and then also to migrate the data as well. And it's the cloud you can experiment, right? Try a few different try ways. Yeah, I think the other yeah. part of your question too was uh why would I do that or should I do that? And and so that that might not be answered by a tool which will say can I do that? The question becomes should I do that? And the easiest way to think about this is the way we always used to think about IaaS and PaaS and so on what you control and what you get the benefits of. So inside IaaS obviously you own you've only abstracted out the hardware. You're not paying for hardware anymore, but everything else is still there, right? You're taking care of the operating system, you're taking care of the instance, you're taking care of the database, you're taking care of virus scan, firewalls, all the rest. As you move up the stack and managed instance would be next up the stack, you lose the operating system as well. So now you don't have to care about that, but there's even some more sugar we put on top of that, such as automatic upgrades. We put things in there to do backups for you automatically. It makes it easier to do availability groups and so on. So you can focus. I get asked this a lot as a DBA. Wait a minute, if you start doing all this for us, what do I do? You can start focusing on what you're supposed to be focusing on, which is helping your company leverage data properly. We take care of the daily stuff that you might have. I would also recommend you lay out what your requirements and your constraints for the system are. Things it has to do, things it can't do. Lay those out, then take in, you know, IaaS and PaaS and MI and all the rest and begin to check the boxes off. The one with the most checks that meets what you need it to do and doesn't do what you don't want it to do, that's the winner for that workload. You may end up in a mixed workload. You may end up in a vendor package that says no, we think we own the operating system. We tickle stuff down on the operating system, which is a horrible thing, but they do it. And so you have to stay on IaaS for that one. But you may be able to move others, and you may have vectors, things that you care about from like how much you pay, 
or how well it performs. You may say, well, we're willing to pay for a little more performance and so on. And so you have to take all those factors into account. The point I think you've heard here is we have tools for you that will tell you it's possible. We also have lots of guidelines and guides that will help you understand benefits and costs. But hey, thanks for using Azure SQL VMs. <laughs> <laughs> I also appreciate you've got resource constraints too. So one of the things I think, I think when you move up to managed instance and, and, the, and those more platformy versions is that there's a lot of work you're no longer responsible for. You don't have to plan an upgrade. The other option that you have is to do a mock migration to managed instance and just see what that environment gives you. See if it, it's going to suit your needs. We're already in trying that. We, we already are in trial. The, the main thing we're looking at is the performance uh, between the two, and we're using the HammerDB just to make sure we can hit that uh, level of performance. And uh, the one thing we do have is, um, I don't know if it's possible. I, I heard it's not possible, but I didn't know if it was. I missed it. Is there a, can a backup from the Azure managed instance come to a VM as and be restored? No. So, managed instance is on the same refresh cycle as the pass offerings, which means it's always being refreshed. Mm -hmm. That means its effective version is always higher than what you have on-premise okay. or in Azure VM. And you can never go down version. You can go only go up. Uh, I mean, this is only mainly for the dev and QA testing scenarios because we don't, we don't want... The whole another uh, stood up a stand up a managed instance like four or five instances of those. So we yeah, we hear you coming from Kevin's hundred percent right about how we do managed instance. There's this new thing we kind of been talking about in SQL Server 2022, um, where we are heading down a path where you're going to be able to do exactly what you're asking for. Okay. But in order to achieve that, I want to be very clear. One of the things about this that we are starting to get the details to talk to customers about is that your MI, your managed instance, will become versioned. <laughs> When you do that, because that's the only way you can be compatible to bring you back to SQL Server 2022. The intention is to make managed instance a disaster recovery site in the scenario, and only with SQL Server 2022 to make that bi-directional. When that works and when that's available, then you would be able to actually take a backup and managed instance and restore it to SQL Server 2022 for that purpose. You can, do th you can accomplish the same thing with things like replication and so on. So if you need to keep systems in sync, that's possible still. Just the pure backup from a higher version to a lower version is not is not possible for obvious reasons. So Even if we change the compat level? It's not the compatibility level. It's the binary laydown uh, okay. of the BAK file that happens okay. that we do. You can up-level. For a while, we've had where you take a lower version of a database. It's been backed up. When you restore it, if you look at the event log, you'll notice it says... Uh, upgrading to version blah, 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 upgrading to version blah, blah, blah. It's literally doing that block by block for you. But we can't go the other way. Uh, there's not really a way to do that. But there are ways to keep just the data in sync. What we hear a lot of times is this need. And what we find out is there's actually a fairly trivial amount of data that needs to be kept in sync between the two of them. And so you can often just use replication or something to, to sync those two up. Great question. Next up. Thanks for not making me run too far. Appreciate Richard, you that. haven't really had to run yeah, very much so run far. Yeah. You got lucky today. Hi. Uh, my question on um, if we want to switch from managed instance to SQL database, uh, I believe the um, everything is on UTC time uh, time zone. So is there a way we can um, have that on to any other time zone? 
yeah, I don't think that's the case today. Is, is that something coming up? or I have not heard the request. We do get a lot of questions around UTC. Brent Ozar recently wrote uh, a blog post on why all your databases should be at UTC, and he's not wrong. Okay. So... Um, can make your code wonky, though. It depends. Like, if you're in Ottumwa, Iowa, and you're never leaving that with your data, I understand the idea of having date times and things that just work automatically without a ton of conversions and so on. Um, but there are arguments if you have uh, a global position. UTC is not a terrible thing to implement across your systems. That's controversial. That's not a Microsoft opinion, by the way. That's a Buckwoodyism. Okay. But uh, from um, other than that uh, the time zone issue, is there any um, any roadblocks that for us, if we want to move it from the MI to SQL database as it's so you should you should assess right your your database you need to assess your database the same as we were just talking about moving to Azure you need to assess it equally for its compatibility and ability to be able to to function as you're intending it to on DB and then you're quite right the migration path is more a logical migration of the data so you have to move the data yourself basically from um, SQL uh, managed instance back to SQL DB. But we do have some resources written around that. We were actually presenting that this week as well um, around using a tool of Davide's um, smart build copy to achieve that and some automation we've built up around that. So I'd encourage you to go, uh, go look at the deck or you can come up to me afterwards and I'll give you the link. Okay, so this is not something like out of, out of the box Microsoft provides for the migration? No. Yeah, the reason because I think we are having a lot of challenges and performance issue with the MI and we have like multiple databases there. So, um, and, and initially our thought process was to use the MI as because we were using the SQL CLR, which that functionality we are not using anymore. Mm -hmm. So, hoping that moving out from the MI to um, individual database instance so that we can have them uh, different databases on, on yeah, and, sure. and that may give us some performance lift. Yeah. So oh. that was one of my first thoughts when you said this, is that why you were doing that? I was just curious, like, why you did make that leap to MI and want to now go to Azure Database? Is it because you said you don't have performance problems with yes. MI? We would love to hear from you what those are. Definitely. <laughs> because I would rather you have a good experience in where you intended to go than have to shift to something else that's a little more difficult to do just because you are not getting the performance you expect. So if you yeah. could chat with us afterwards, yeah, we'd love definitely. to hear that. Yeah, <laughs> I would love to. Yeah, we'd, we'd love to hear that yes. feedback. We have a team uh, that runs MI in Serbia, and they love to hear from customers of what's going on with MI. So. Okay. Thank you so much. So just, just one, uh, one addition to the, to the answer. In general, you shouldn't expect any difference between SQL Database and SQL MI, except for the things that are not supported in SQL Database, for example, SQL ACLR. But otherwise, the engine is the same. So if you have performance issues on MI, uh, it's not that they are going to magically disappear in, in DB, right? Um, so just just to make sure. Okay, so you're looking at resource starvation because of, of this. Um, and so, and we'll take some of this offline, but some of what we could do is we could look at increasing resources. We can um, look at also if part of the resources are IOPS, that can be directly related to the file size um, that we currently have because the IOPS throughput, if you're on general purpose, general yeah, uh, so on general purpose is related to the size of the database on blob storage. And 
And so that's one of the things to, but we can follow up more in detail on that. But Bradley, thanks for I'm volunteering curious. for that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> definitely. I think, and we have a, I, I think a special engagement with Microsoft and that's what we're, we're trying um, to get that um, you know, help. Um, by the way, I work for GM Financials. So um, that's what um, we have some um, uh, engagement with Microsoft. So yeah, come talk to us. Helps. Come talk to us after this because we can also help you from like, uh, from a perspective of Thank giving you, you insight. Yeah. All right, back up here. We, we got them to do laps. Um, so the intelligent query processing seems like a really great opportunity to do a lot of things. And one of the questions I have is, do, have you already done this or are you planning on doing it? And the question is, I've seen SQL implemented on many, many different quality storage platforms, not all created equal. And then there's also the question of when a RAID array fails, has a dry fail, it's degraded. It seems like the uh, intelligent query processing gives you an opportunity to switch execution plans based on how what the quality of the backend data is and maybe shift to a more memory uh, intensive. Is that something in the plan to be more adaptive in that way? Because we see a lot of this machine learning in the security side of things, which is where I spend most of my time. But it seems like a huge opportunity to kind of shift, especially since you have multiple execution plans to choose from. So there's, there's nothing specifically in the works that I'm aware of. However, if you think about it from the perspective of the SQL engine where it's running, it can find that, it can determine that IOs are behaving with certain characteristics. IOs are slow, IOs are, you know, une uneven. But we don't know what's going on with the hardware. We're completely blind to the hardware. Mm -hmm. So that, there's this kind of barrier there. So we, it's conceivable that at some point, um, intelligent query planning could respond to slow IOs and that a lot of the in-memory things end up being schema changes, which we can't do automatically for you. Okay. Because that's kind of your, your design choice. Okay. Yeah, that gets, that gets pretty weird. We'd have to be pretty tight down at the hardware level for that. And then that would then mean we'd have, you know, because Windows runs on so many different kinds of hardware. And then it becomes weird yet again when you start talking about Linux. Although, you know, in this conference center is big enough, it has two time zones, right? So you usually get your 10,000 steps just getting back and forth. Here you go. Thank you. So this is kind of a twofold question. Um, can you give us some updates or ideas on SSRS as well as SSIS and their, their path going forward? Because none of us up here are doing RS. Yeah, it's a fair question. I'll, I'll say one thing first, just to be clear out of the gate right now, for SQL Server 2022, there are no specific plans for enhancements for both of those products you just mentioned. Um, it's, not, it's possible. Sometimes we work with those teams before we actually release, we do put some enhancements, but it's pretty clear that the roadmap for both of those organizations is different technologies, right? It's Power BI and, and is ADF. Um, so right now, uh, when I've talked to those specific teams, they continue to support them, but they're still trying to steer their customers. For example, for Power BI Report Server, uh, SSIS is still a pretty healthy product. I personally view that as kind of part of the engine. I don't know about you, but a lot of people just use that along with the engine. Um, but those teams, their direction, what they've talked to, when we, we speak to them about what they're doing, it's if you're SSIS, it's using ADF technologies, and if it's SSRS, using Power BI. Yeah, and on the SSIS side, you're going to see that have a little bit longer legs as well because it's embedded. You can run those packages even in Linux. You can't run the environment, but you can run the packages. 
and those are supported in ADF as well. So I think you're going to have a little longer legs and longer. But uh, I will say this, though. I know those teams, when I've talked to them, want to know why the technologies that they're trying to guide customers to use aren't the right path for you. Like, why couldn't you use those? If it's more of a matter of like cost for me to make that change or migration, that is one thing. But are there limitations with what they're currently offering that these other technologies you know, used to offer? So, One last thing about SSRS, though. People have asked us about this, but in the cloud. So one thing you may not be aware of, like Managed Insta, for example, they can host an SSRS database for reporting. So we've had some customers make a migration to Managed Instance for SQL Server, still use SSRS like an Azure VM, and then point the reporting database into Managed Instance to take advantage of those managed characteristics for the database itself. Hmm. All right, question here. So one thing we haven't heard a whole lot of in, or anything in this conference is about uh, SQL Server on Linux. So what kind of things are being added or, or enhanced in the SQL Server on Linux? For example, in 2019 on Linux, you can't change properties of agent. Is that something we're going to see where agent becomes more of a first-class citizen like SQL? Yeah, thanks, Ben, for pointing that out. So that, that specific one, I'm going to go back to Tejas and the team, connect with me afterwards to make sure that I, they're looking at that. I'm not sure specifically in that issue. For SQL Server 2022, there's a few things we're doing in the space of Linux, specifically not as large as what you're seeing us do overall for SQL Server 2022. One of the things that we have been looking at, we've had some requests from customers in this kind of space, is on Kubernetes. Like, what do we do from that perspective to make um, containers for Linux and Kubernetes work with HADR? You know, we went down that path a little bit in 19 and then didn't quite finish that off. Uh, that may work maybe orthogonal to releasing a major version of SQL Server, so that doesn't necessarily have to align with the release like that. Um, if there's specific things on Linux besides like the agent one you're talking about that you'd like us to do, we'll certainly go look at that. But I don't know of any specific huge major things we're doing. There's some security enhancements, for example, the team's working on specifically for Linux in 2022. But other than that, we're just trying to make sure that the current features we're shipping for 2022 will work and be compatible in that environment. The other big one is HADR, right? So the interaction right. with Windows, SQL, connecting and doing things with Linux SQL natively, like with Windows authentication. And I mean, the. Now, some of that stuff actually can work. I mean, for example, you can do an availability group between Windows and Linux if you right, want to, like right. a, without auto failover clustering, obviously, right? right? It's just right. between AGs, right? Uh, because we don't have a technology that, that reaches across those. But. If there's specific limitations like that, okay. I do want to hear from you. I mean, we know exactly the team that owns this technology. Okay. They probably want to know exactly what you're, you're seeing that you need there. Okay, great. Thanks. Oh, I like that. Send this all to Ree. <laughs> Real. <laughs> no, Ree knows, knows Tejas and the team, and she'll reach out to them. Hey, I'm trying to get this question answered by the team. Um, and so I, I keep lists of yeah. who works on what. I mean, it's always changing, of course. But I keep lists of who works on what so that I send it. Go, hey, can you, can you touch base with this person? And so either they'll answer the question and bring it back to me and then I'll send it to you or if they'll have follow-up, they'll, they'll connect with you personally, but you can just send it to me. Then. <laughs> I just want to say that now it's nice. The default answer will be send a re an email. Well, I, do, I already do that. I just wonder if I'm on that list and what I'm supposed to be working on now. What, what do you put on the list for Woody <laughs> exactly? T-shirt creator? <laughs> yeah, okay. But I will tell you that the, the team that runs the Linux for us, Ben, they are very hungry to talk to customers all the time. They're asking me, like, they're going to ping me and say, This event, did anybody ask about Linux? This is actually a pretty good timing to know what you're looking for. That's great. 
And folks, I'm going to interrupt for one moment for this very important message. This episode of Run As Radio is brought to you by the Humanitarian Toolbox. Humanitarian Toolbox builds open source software for disaster relief organizations. One of the leading projects called Two Weeks Ready helps individuals, families, and communities prepare for disasters using smartphones. HTBox builds and operates this and other applications on behalf of a variety of disaster response organizations, and they need your help. Go to htbox.org for more information or to make a tax-deductible donation. HTBox is a 501c3 U.S. registered charity. Your donations help support the creation of this life-saving software. Thanks. And we're back. It's Run As Radio. I'm here in Las Vegas at the MGM Grand at the SQL Azure at SQL Server Conference. And we're doing the Q&A session. We're doing our latter half here. And I'm going to pass this over to Grant. All right. Nobody paid me for this question, but I'm still curious. I really am. Um, 2022 is coming out. I'm excited about some of the stuff coming out. I'm honestly curious what two or three of you guys, what, what are you excited about that's, com- that's coming up? I mean, not, not simply like, we're doing this and I've got to market it. No, 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 no. What are, what are you just jazzed? The connected features, right? So what Bob said, like how you can move from VM to MI, MI to VM, like seamlessly. That, that gives huge power to customers where they can envision their VM like IaaS and PaaS connected. So that is a huge power for me. And on-prem too, not just in VM, but like on-prem yeah. being able to like have a replica. Now you can have, you always could have a replica in VM. Now you could have a replica in MI, even better. So you don't even have to support that thing pretty much. I mean, it's just going to babysit itself. But that's cool. That wasn't my favorite feature. I thought you were going to say a active, Azure Active Directory authentication. <laughs> that's one of my favorite features. Yeah. Really important for VM customers is Azure Active Directory authentication. So that's going to come to one of my favorites. I got a list, but I'll let you guys go. For me, it's... <laughs> Living in the HA space as I do, it's the contained availability groups. I've been hearing since we shipped AGs in 2012, the, the problems of keeping the execution environment, logins and all that in sync across all the replicas, and that's what it, contained AGs do for you. Intelligent Query PSV. So I, as a former production DBA, I, I recall we knew um, whenever we had an end-of-month shift, we, we were going to... Um, Oh, um, parameter sniffing, parameter sensitive plan. Yeah. Sorry. Parameter sensitive plan. Parameter sniffing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we're building in parameter sniffing. That's a yeah. we're not. We, we had a query that ran 10,000 times a day, but at the end of the month on a processing job, it would spike the CPU to 100%. You couldn't even get anybody to remote into the box. Somebody would physically have to go and hit the power button. And then as the DBA, you had to bring it up and spend a couple hours making sure that everything was processing properly. That will fix that. And, I mean, that's that's huge for DBAs that actually have to be up late at night and take calls like that because then they get to sleep through the night. That's, you talk that's, about dreading month end, oh, right? Yeah. Like at Absolutely. the end of every month, this is likely to happen. Oh, yeah. No, it, it was funny. Whoever lost the draw, they were the end of the month. Yeah, it was like, rock, well, paper, scissors. Yeah. Okay, it's you. Between 1 a.m. and 2.30 a.m., yeah. you'll be waking up. Yeah. So, Grant, I don't... If I, if people on the team are going to listen to this afterwards, and if I say something like that, they're going to get mad. Like, how come you didn't call on my feature, right? But I will tell you what people have told me, because I've been presenting now since November on this, right? Um, the, some of the Azure Connected features are pretty exciting, like managed disaster recovery. That's actually way cool. Some are not getting as much exposure because we need to kind of like put more polish on it, like purview integration, like publishing policies across a bunch of SQL servers to give 
Richard Campbell, not sysadmin, writes. That, that would, that's kind of a nice one. Essay, um, no password, man. <laughs> the IQP stuff, the PSP, you know, people were like in tears when we demoed this thing, right? But there's some other stuff there that's pretty amazing. DOP feedback. There's a whole slew of things we're doing right now that are pretty amazing. There's some other things that are not getting uh, as much attention, and they certainly will. I see Mr. Plus sitting in the back of the room. How would you like to like forget about TempDB? Like, wouldn't that be nice? Like, hands-free TempDB. We might be close to that. I don't know. We might be at that threshold. So that doesn't get as much attention, but if we pitch it in that direction and show it to you, that could be pretty exciting. And then there's the last thing called Ledger. I don't know if we're spending enough time telling you about what that technology is, but every time I show it off, if you want to go back and see kind of fun demonstration of this, watch Buck, Woody at SQL Bits, catch me trying to hack a SQL server. It was kind of fun, fun thing we did. But those are the ones that kind of standing that people are telling me that they're they're most excited about. I think Ledger's uh, something will will uh, eventually people will go well. This is pretty cool. They should have said something about it. And, and it's the idea of this it, it's this immutable ledger. It doesn't prevent a break in. We've actually got a bunch of very cool new security things, and a lot of them are plumbing and things that are hard to see. But we've got some great new security features. But inside Ledger itself, I can tell that it happened. And this has huge ramifications. If I'm a drug company and I want to make sure nobody's tampered with my stuff, if you've got a Starbucks uh, coffee, there's a barcode on the side of it. And if you look at that barcode and you scan it in, you go to their website, it will tell you the place where the beans grew, the truck that delivered it to the processing plant, the processing plant that delivered it, and the truck that carried it to the store where they made your coffee. That's all blockchain. It's not just hype. And so they can literally manage quality control that way. We think of banks making sure that votes count uh, for people. These are the things that are coming. I think it's going to be a while, but I, I think once it hits, everybody's going to go, well, why didn't they say something about this, even though yeah. you know we are? I, will, I want to call it to Kevin, though, because we've been talking about contained AGs for like our career. Um, and yeah. <laughs> And so, but I just want to—I just want to call out Kevin, like here in the podcast. This man has personally worked his tail off to make sure this is going to be in the release, and I'm super excited about it. So that is one that is going to be like a teary moment for a lot of people, but it hasn't made the press yet. But it will because Kevin knows I'm going to hit the road telling everybody about it. So, all right. Any other questions? I, I'm surprised Patrick left some of the security topics on the uh, on the floor there, since he scares me on a regular basis. Uh, 2020, 2021, and so far 2022 has been tough security years. Uh, what have you guys seen? What have you been dealing with? Uh, how bad is it for your customers? It's been, it's been incredible. I think um, you may have seen some of the articles that uh, we put out. Mark Resinovich has put out some articles that we've survived. One of the largest DDoS attempts in history, a den distributed denial of service. For those of you that don't know what a distributed denial of service is, um, have, have you been down to the Starbucks in the morning to go get coffee at the air, at the <laughs> hotel? That's a DDoS. Um, uh, all of you are showing up at once, and there's apparently one register open, but I'm not bitter. Um, there's We face some incredible security things, and a lot of things we're not allowed to talk about. Companies still are not... They don't want to say they've been hacked, but we deal with this constantly, helping people with this. And it is usually a what I call a white picket fence. It's usually something as innocuous as don't click on links and emails. Mm -hmm. um, it's usually something like this. So we're putting so much stuff. If you folks haven't taken a look at Microsoft Defender and specifically Microsoft Defender for SQL, which goes from ground to cloud, and the advanced 
threat protection. If you put those things in, you'll be worlds ahead of 90% of the bad guys. Still feel like it's a world where as long as you've got the club on your car, they'll take the different car. Like you don't have to have perfect security. You just, yeah, you just need to make a move on to the next guy. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You're, you're not an easy mark. Yeah. yeah well, I was going to say, I'm glad you brought up Microsoft Defender because one of the things we're actually hearing from our customers now is they're coming to Azure because of the security, because we now offer all of these services for you to be able to just quickly and easily spin something up. You don't have to learn everything about FedRAMP. You just have to get Microsoft Defender and plug in the FedRAMP, uh, you know, benchmark, and then we tell you what's wrong, you know, so it, we make it easier. So, and now you don't even have to move into Azure to get all that. Microsoft Defender is coming to you. All of these things that we're doing, Purview and all of this, it's just going to work across from, I, I'll use your saying, from ground to cloud. Um, and it's so cool. It's just so cool, like how everything is just coming together as, as if it's just one giant product. Great story. I'm glad. It's just been... For the guy making the podcast, like I can't do that many ransomware podcasts. Like it's kill it's killing me truly. Last questions, David. You gonna you gonna cause some trouble? Yeah, that look on your face, man. I recognize it. <laughs> so I, I I would say uh, y'all are talking security. Um, being able to leverage Azure Active Directory and uh, SQL Server with multi-factor authentication. That is a powerful capability. You're going to eliminate so much of those security threats just being able to to get off of that, having a single uh, fa um, you know, factor. So that that's a huge, huge scenario. Yeah, I don't know about you guys, but I get annoyed now when people don't have multi-factor authentication. I'm like, I have to add a pass, another password? No, no, just just ping me on my phone. That's how I want to log in. That's how I log into all my Azure SQL, <laughs> like MI and stuff. Like it's all MFA, right? And for developers, make sure that you don't use passwords anymore. Just yeah. use managed identities. If you are using Azure Function App Service VM, just just you know forget about passwords. Uh, they are old stuff that we should keep in the past. So yeah. manage the identity for the win. Yes, agreed. Coming to VM in SQL 2022. <laughs> Already in Azure SQL database. Oh, ouch, ouch. <laughs> Now, what, what you can do, if you want, is just set your passwords like I do. Uh, my password is always the word incorrect, and I just type anything, and then the system says, your password is incorrect, and, and that, like, oh, it works right. every time. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, and, and I've done it on the show before as well. It's like if, if, you've got, if your organization has cyber insurance and you as the DBA or as any kind of administrator haven't read it closely, like MFA is now a base requirement for most cyber insurance. Your insurance is void if there's any accounts that don't have MFA on. And if your CFO signed it and never told you, boy, it's going to be a bad day for everybody. Well, I, I want to make sure that we don't gloss over it too quickly, but managed identities are, are really, really key. When we were in the pre-con, one of the things I did was I built a dynamic pipeline to load data into Synapse using the managed identity for the Synapse workspace, putting it into the Azure SQL database. Um, and then running the pipeline, doing connecting to that. And not only that, but you have an option now in the pipeline where you can encrypt the connection using the key specific to the managed identity. And so it's an identity, unlike a service principle, that is only specific to that application that you're using. So it can't be used in any other way but using that application. It's an incredible thing. Um, for, yeah, go ahead. No, 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 I was just about to ask, uh, because maybe we have an easy session to do. How many developers that are building a cloud application are using managed identity today? Oh, oh so we yeah. really need to do an uh, a session because 
many developers uh, raised their hand, and only a few now, so we definitely need to uh, help developers use them. Awesome. We're coming up to the end, folks. Any last questions? Excellent. Well, big hand for our panel. Thank you so much for being here. And to all of you, I think there's ice cream out front. <gasps> uh, what? Ice cream? And we'll talk to you next time on Run As Radio.